Right, welcome everyone to Fazlift Podcast, episode 39. Uh, today I've got uh, a great guest, uh, delighted to have him on, Colin Gordon. He's an old friend of mine. Uh, welcome to have you, welcome to, to, to the show, Colin. Good to have you. How are you doing? I'm okay, mate. It's brilliant to be on um, yeah. and, you know, be chatting. Uh, we, we do it all far too often, um, to be fair. Yeah. It's definitely something that we should be doing outside of this podcast on a regular basis. Absolutely, we should. So just for the viewers' um, sake, my audio, Colin's known me since I was probably about 18 years old. And uh, he's uh, he's kept an army on the, on the forums and stuff. Um, and he's, he's put me in my place when I needed it, <laughs> which I can safely say now, as an adult, I actually fully appreciate. So thank you, Colin, because uh, I have been a bit of a cocker sometimes. So thank you. I as, did, as, as my I, friends I did will maybe know. go a wee bit kind of harsh on one of the occasions. I think I think I deserved it. I would have said, that, knowing that, because I basically, I probably would have been, I probably would be now you're, you're the age that you when you were talking to me. Yeah. I'm maybe a little bit younger. So no, I would say I'd probably do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that was around about the time when I hit my hamstring and I was just a Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was just a bell end to everyone. And I, I, I did, I deserved it. Uh, <laughs> so it's great to have you on, Colin. Uh, as I say, he's Colin's been a, a part of my adult life for yeah, since I was probably eighteen. So it's it's great to have you on. Yeah, you're definitely one of the, the guys that I have known uh, the longest. Um and just through online stuff, I, I'm, a few years ago, my sister moved out to Australia and I went out to see her like two years after she'd went out and I met up with a guy, um, Andy Mitchell, uh, who I've known essentially for the same length of time as you. Uh, and it would have been crazy to have gone to Australia and not met him. Uh, and we had, uh, I was down in Melbourne for a couple, my sister lived in Sydney, we were down there for a couple of days. We went to the gym that he trained at, had a session and what have you. It was great. Um, you know, it, we have these connections, you know, through the wonders of the, the interweb. And, uh, you know, so often we don't actually get a chance to either talk to the person or, or meet them. So going out to Australia, it would have been crazy not to have met them. And, you know, chatting to you is, is always nice. So uh, we'll crack on with the first question. So Colin has a practice in Edinburgh. Um, now, there's a, there's a ton of stuff that Colin has expertise on. So I've been keen to get him on for a while. And idiot me, I've not actually got him on uh, since before this whole coronavirus thing happened. So there's a ton of stuff that I wanted to quiz you on. So firstly, I want to talk about, um, you mentioned dynamic movement skills in, on your website. Mm-hmm. And I want to do you to explain about that. Because from my impression as a bit of a meathead, I wasn't really convinced that the body could be reprogrammed without the use of heavy weight. So could you firstly just explain what it is and then what do you do? Well, uh, it's funny thing is, is that you mentioned it and yeah, I don't really use it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not, but I don't use it in the way that you see it on, you know, on the website. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is we're really, um, in terms of what happens with the body, you know, using weights is great for lots of things, but the dynamic, dynamic movement skills, can, there's two sides to it. Um, and I still use both aspects of it. And it was probably my first, my introduction to this, that style of, of work. Um, it's based around, uh, for, the, for your listeners, a guy called, I, I think anyway, I wouldn't be surprised, the 
the, um, Mike Antonides is the guy that came up with it. He's the fellow that brought ladders, as in, you know, you, you think of um, ladder, you, know, so you see the football players and everybody using them. He's the yeah. guy that brought them into the UK. Right, right. But I think some of his work, it, it certainly was, came about at the same sort of time as Gary Gray was probably doing a lot of his stuff on the lunge, his lunge matrix and what that type of stuff. So that's something that you're, you're, you know, your listeners can really want to look into. Uh, but what it is is that we, as adults, I think we just abuse it. Well, not even adults, just through our life, we, we insult our body on a regular basis. Um, and we, we start moving in ways that are, are just poor, really. Um, what the, if we just think of it as the, the, the DMS screen type stuff, it, it's attempting to get you to move more like what you should be moving. So one of the big issues I see with people is even just in terms of walking is that they don't roll across their foot. Their heel doesn't strike. They don't move nicely into uh, their heel obviously does strike, but they don't go from that heel strike into a nice rolling action through into the front of their foot and push off again. Um, this was stuff I believe you talked to me about when, when with my running gait was, was awful mm -hmm. and we kind of discussed yeah. it. Just to frame this for the audience, um, since a lot of my audience will be, will be gym guys, um, mm -hmm. could you make the argument that is, there's a, there's, that is happening when people are trying to squat and not squatting particularly well? So yeah. being able I'm to gonna, come, I'm going to, yeah, definitely. That's one right. of the things I said I'm going to move on to. Because so that, that's, that's, really, that's like a really hard thing for people to understand, the squatting. Some people just click, but it's a very small minority of people. So I think that would interest yeah, me. Would, would yeah. So if we think of that, that's, the, the, uh, that's people walking. But if we look at what we want um, in terms of, so that's where I'll, I'll use that with a lot of people, regardless of what they're doing. So even if they are somebody, you know, meathead comes in, I want a meat, I want them walking better. If they walk better, they'll squat better. Mm. But what's happening with a squat is we want you to get the weight distributed over the foot better. So that in the top position, we want the weight a little bit more forward. And then in the bottom position, going to be a little bit more on your heels so one of the things you the, one of the best things that you can actually do is probably ditch your lifting shoes okay. and squat in your bare feet now not all the time um because yeah, i remember you used to favor squatting in flats when, uh, when, when, when and then, everyone was moving towards the heels and you yeah I, you had a pretty mean squat from what i recall uh-huh uh i know i i i I'd probably, if I'm squatting, I do lifting, <laughs> lifting <laughs> Olympic lifting shoes. <laughs> but I'm now kind of moving towards shifting everything to just stocking feet, bare feet. Um, but the, so I'm kind of coming first, full circle again. Uh, and the thing is, is, and then on top of that, I actually don't squat as much now. Uh, I'm moving a lot more to single leg movements. Uh, you and me um, both. Or, or split stance more than single leg because single leg is really hard to actually load up. And there's so much balance and X, et cetera, involved in that. Actually getting good loading in a sing proper single leg requires almost gymnastic like skills. And whereas we can bias a split stance in such a way that, um, you don't need to. So one of the things I would say to you guys is that 
actually really lighten the load. And in the first instance, just think about what you're doing through your warm-up sets. Don't make this anything that's happening when you're actually working. Squat normally. Just put the weight on the bar, squat up and down as you would do normally. But in your maybe first or second warm-up set, actually have a think about how the weight feels across your foot. Um, and, and where are you, are, are you constantly on your heels or does the weight move backwards and forwards? Because it should move backwards and forwards. Okay, so what, what are people looking for in a, in a squatting movement with their feet then? So we should start off, I mean, I always assume the majority of it should be the weight kind of back a little bit. So yeah, on our heels. Um, we should be mid to forefoot in the top position and then in the bottom position it should be kind of down into your heels right which is i think that's where people struggle because in the bottom position yeah. people are going on their toes or at least right. pressure is going on the front of the foot yeah so it's kind of a want to sit down that. into it uh, a bit more because the weight should shift back a bit and that's where i mean some of that can be that they don't have the mobility in the ankle that's really common. And that's where lifters actually, you know, the Olympic lifting shoes come in. They're giving you that bit of um, plantar, plantar flexion, which is giving you more room to get the the actual translation of the, the tibia forward. Yeah, um, so, without, what we're, so what we're saying is the, the heel is, the additional heel is more of a, a Band-Aid solution than it is. Yeah. Yeah, right. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, like you... It's, it's an, uh, the thing is, is like we look on YouTube and what have you, and we see uh, these, you know, crazy Chinese guys squatting hideous weights, you know, at the in the training hall at the Olympics, uh, forgetting that they are <laughs> with the best intentions. They are mutants. <laughs> they are so far out on the you know the, the scale of being suited to that movement that uh, you know, they may as well be mutants, whereas the rest of us are kind of into them. I did see, I did see a video of one, one Chinese Olympic weightlifter. He was, uh, he was short already, but he had a massively long torso compared to really short legs. And I thought, you're taking the piss on so many levels there, you know? <laughs> it's just like, it's, you know, perfection yeah. for like, doing what he's doing. And the thing is, they go through such a brutal selection process that the only ones that survive are like so hard you know, in terms of their ability to tolerate volume of training mm. and so well suited in terms of their, basically, arthropomorphic sort of things, so joint shape, leg length, torso length. They're so suited to it that it's like, you know, you're, you're not looking at normal human beings. Yeah, sure. I mean, so if we come away from almost squatting and thinking in single leg work, mm. which is where I must admit I'm biased in a lot of my, my stuff now, if you narrow your stance a bit more, so rather than your split squat looking more like a classic lunge position, if you start the split squat with a narrower base and actually move your weight so that it's moved forward and in, even doing this without any weight, feeling the weight coming down into the arch of the foot. Right. So you can sort of do that by putting one foot forward and then it, it's almost like a, a Smith machine squat motion, I guess. Cause yeah. you, is that right? Would I be, yeah. yeah, it could be. Yeah. Cause you, you're, you're much more, there's less sort of, uh, it'd be difficult to do on a Smith machine because we do need to actually move our body forward. But 
uh, it, it's almost like you're thinking of being up tall and then the weight, you move your weight forward. So the whole body moves over the foot and yeah. you'll feel the weight kind of come into the arch. And then at that point, maintain that position and squat down or do your, you know, perform your split squat whilst, and it's only really in the very bottom position that the weight will shift into the heel. But as you come up, you must push into the ground. So it's almost like a deadlift movement in a sense when you're coming back up. So you're really concentrating on pushing into the ground to push yourself away, which kind of brings us on to the next bit, which is we get doing it in this manner, we get a massive co-contraction through the whole leg. So you're everything in that bottom position just switches on. Mm. I've just come off a, a call with one of my clients and we were sort of tweaking this split squat with him and he had no weight. All he was doing was a, uh, was he was actually for one of the other reasons that he was crushing a, a pillow mm -hmm. as, as he did the movement um, and doing just exactly as I'm saying, weight forward over the midfoot, exhaling as he went down into that bottom position. And that's the other thing, exhale on the way down, breathe in on the way back up. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, I, I've, but, heard of, I've heard of one other bodybuilder recently talking about that. Um, could you expand on that at some point as well yeah well what this does is the, the reason for it was certainly with for him and he, it's another one that you can actually look at for you know with your guys that exhale on the way down what we're getting there is we're getting the rib cage to depress uh, so it's this idea of bracing you know that yes. yeah power lifters are you and you will be familiar with it i know that mm. uh, but what it does is it brings a rib cage down Ages the obliques really hard, um, puts our torso in a better position. Um, then it also allows us to sort of slouch. There's another thing, slouch somewhat uh, in this movement, um, which is why I'd almost go away from having anything on your back to do it. Uh, you slouch, then come down. And then what this does, this idea of actually then pushing into the ground with your foot to, to stand up rather than standing up as we would do normally where we lead with our upper body and you kind of almost have to do if you've got a bar on your back means that the difference in the contraction that you get in your leg is huge. Uh, everything just switches on. That Bam. is super interesting. So I, I, I wanted to ask you, just again for the for the audience sake because there'll be there'll be squatters and lifters and bodybuilders and stuff mm -hmm. which i know it's it's more important than just your looks but just just as, for, for, as a take home for them breathing out on the way in there now on the way down that's going to cause you to tighten your core mm -hmm. you, we you're probably not going to be able to lift as much weight but what you're no. saying is at the bottom position if you get that right your legs are going to actually be able to be working harder mm -hmm. now, i mean there is different, I would do that on one session and on the other session I would do it in a more classic style. Because I, so, I, I think it's kind of connected a little bit because you, you see guys when they're doing this whole progressive overload type of type of training, you know, the low volume, Jordan Peters, Dorian Yates type of thing. And it's kind of like, I've, I've talked about this a lot, it's basically poundage at all costs. Now, mm. the, the trend with those types of lifters is to then start using knee wraps. Now, is there a connection there potentially with their squatting form? Because you're squatting mm. very much a knee-focused squat means, you know, which is the opposite of what you're saying. Because you're saying at the bottom of the, of the squat, you want to be back on your heels and it would be more mm. evenly distributed throughout the entire leg, but not yeah. 
But I see, because with a lot of these big guys, they're going to be relatively inflexible as well. They're coming down, squat form looks looks okay, but perhaps they're over their toes slightly. Knees start to hurt or they need, need knee more stability. They start to use wraps. So in effect, what they're doing there is that they're, they're, I'm not even sure you could say you're masking the issue. You're basically, you ended up in a situation where you're using a ton of weight. You're not actually working the quads that effectively. Whereas mm. they, they tend to also shot, squat a little bit shallower as well. So we could mm. make the argument, well, actually, maybe the use of wraps is probably hiding problems, which you should actually... Yeah, I wouldn't. There is no need for anybody outside of a competitive equipped powerlifter to use wraps yeah. or knee sleeves. Because I, um, I see that myself, my previous... When I, when I was powerlifting, I don't really squat anymore either much. <laughs> but uh, I squatted uh, in the garage gym a few days ago. And my flexibility is a lot better nowadays because I'm leaner. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't use any wraps, but I was able to get super deep with the majority of the flexion coming from the hips. Now, that didn't mm-hmm. feel like anything on my knees at all. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that, you know, with this idea, and whilst your weight is in the bottom position on your heel, your knee will be out over your toes. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you're not going to be out over. You're not sitting back with a vertical shin. Your, your, shin is, your knee is going to be out over your toes. Uh, so that's the other thing is that and then what happens is that you are there, there is very little in the leg that isn't working as you come up so as you press in it's it's almost like a it's really how you should be deadlifting in a sense but you're just getting a deeper range of movement which means that you're going to get a lot more quad out of it simply because you're in that you know deep knee flexion yeah hip flexion position versus the only reason that you're not getting as much in some respects when you deadlift is that you're starting, you know, it's, it's a quarter squat or a half squat, depending on yeah. what you want to call it. Uh, but even with the deadlift, if you should be deadlifting in this way. So I, I, guess, bottom, I guess for the deadlift, you could think about what you're doing before you pull, whereas in a squat, you're, you're almost, you, can, you time it right or you're screwed. Because if you don't yeah, come down very much. Yeah. I remember... Um, two, three years ago where I basically I was, I was sort of having a, a bit of a last ditch go at maybe competing in a powerlifting competition. Okay, yeah. And uh, so I was doing 200 for triples. Nice. Col- um, Colin's pretty bloody strong, by the way. What was your best, was, ever, what was your best ever 20 rep just before you? Uh... Best ever 20 rep, I think it was 170 kilos. Fucking crazy. <laughs> crazy. Uh, probably lay on the floor dying afterwards. Right? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I do remember having a video of something like 170 kilos. Amazing. Yeah. But anyway, uh, you, you were saying you, you were squatting. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm squatting and I'm probably not, I'm not doing kind of what we're saying here because I'm finding that on the second set, because I was planning on doing five triples. Second set, I come up and I kind of go forward a little bit and lose my balance. Rescue it. It's fine. It's only, it's, you know, that tiny shift where you're just like, oh, shit, fuck. What's yeah, going on? Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, but you're actually, you know, you've, it's not really that far. You've just freaked out because you've got, you know, a couple hundred kilos on your back. <laughs> yeah. It's understandable. <laughs> Rack the bar and I'm, you know, I'm arrested. I'm like, okay, really need to focus on this next set. So next set comes and, you know, rep one, fine. Rep two, oh, maybe, maybe just shifted a little bit there. 
better make sure I get this next one right. So <laughs> go down on, on the, the third rep. I'm so busy thinking about it that I pause squatted it. <laughs> and I sat there in the bottom position and I went, then suddenly realized that I was sitting there. And there was a moment where I was just like, fuck, how am I getting out of this? This is going to be really embarrassing if I have to dump the bar here. Yeah. I think that was the only reason I was able to stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a survival mechanism kicking in. I didn't do, I didn't do the other two sets. I figured, yeah, I figured three triples with a, a, a pause on the third one. That's, that's enough. Was enough for the day. I just like, right, let's just your point there. And go home. Uh, but coming back to it, that's what I'm saying. Don't really think about it on your heavy work. Get good at it on lighter stuff. Um, and and really focus it on any single leg work that you're doing. And, and make the single leg work your kind of rehab, prehab type thing. But at the same point in time, if you think about what's happening with anybody who's training purely for aesthetic purposes, um, in terms of, you know, we're just looking at growth here, you're going to actually spur a lot more growth uh, because you're <laughs> <laughs> we're being photobombed. <laughs> because you, you're actually, you're getting a better contraction through the whole leg at that point in time. And, you know, if you experiment with this, you'll notice it, that it's like, holy shit, you know, I've got like my quads are like going on here, my hamstrings, my glutes, everything. I wonder if that's what I've experienced because I, so I, I did these squats um, in my garage gym a few, day, a few days ago and it, was, it wasn't much. It was, it was three plates for, I think, um, sets of 10, something like that. So I did like mm -hmm. three sets, like a 10, eight, six, basically. Mm -hmm. um, now, I had no knee pain and I had ridiculously good depth. And you remember, I always used to struggle with my knee depth yeah. and my knee pain. Now, what I have been doing a hell of a lot probably over the last year has been I've kicked off, I've kicked off most lower body sessions with uh, a single leg movement. And it's generally mm -hmm. been single leg leg press, um, which are with feet relatively high on the platform, mm -hmm. uh, pushing through my heels. Because you can focus a lot more. Like if you don't have to yep. go, if you start on the, in the right position, you don't have to focus on going down. You don't have to concentrate on the weight. There's no weight on your back. So I'm, I'm really able to drive through my heel because you know, that's generally easier on my knees. Now, and when I squatted a few days ago, because I've not squatted probably in about a year prior to that, I was just blown away. I was like, this is crazy. Uh, yeah. that potentially what I'm saying, because I couldn't explain it myself. There would be something like that happening whereby you've, you've got better at actually pushing. Yes. As opposed to squatting. <laughs> yeah, but yeah that, well, that's it. And I thought, I thought, I've not squatted for a year or something. All of a sudden, have I gotten a better squat than when I used to powerlift? <laughs> well, a better looking squat at least. Yeah, but the thing is that would translate into a heavier squat if we take in that motor learning that needs to occur over that three to six month period. Yeah. Uh, that in six months' time, you know, if you squatted and did and basically applied the same approach that you currently do. You know, three plates would be four plates. Yeah, it's so and, crazy. And you wouldn't, wouldn't notice. You know, I think if we if we think about the fact that I mean, another one that I use um, is, and it, this is more in terms of like athletic performance type stuff, but it, it, it relates to everybody anyway. Is 
Uh, I'm not a massive fan of the glute bridge. Hmm. Um, I think it's it's a useful rehab tool, uh, but in terms of actually trying to go heavy on it, it's such a cumbersome thing to. Um, oh, absolutely! Yeah, to load up. <laughs> yeah. and, unless you, unless you've got a machine for it, it's very yeah. it's very very cumbersome. Yeah. And people just make such an arse of it hmm. that it's like, hey, look at me! I've you know just because Brett Contreras does you know something stupid with it. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? I yeah. don't care. I really don't care at all. Uh, it's not a good way to load an exercise up, no. to my mind. Not with a barbell. No, I, I, we've got a, we've got a machine at the gym. Well, when it's reopened, uh, which is actually really good, and we only, you only need to use about sixty kilos. I've only seen anybody use about sixty on it, but it's great because it, it, it puts everything where it needs to be. It's padded, mm. and you can, you can focus on the positioning because yeah. you don't, you don't have a bloody however heavy barbell crushing your hips. Mm. Um, I mean, the sort of the thing that I'm talking about here—it's almost like two. One, and here's one that you guys can try, uh, essentially get two benches, shoulders on one bench, feet on the other bench. Take one leg off and do what effect. So you want a slight bend in your knee. So your knee's bent at about, about a 90 degree angle, uh, roughly. Um, and then do calf raises. But the knee's not allowed to move at this point in time, okay. so it's kind of like you're going to do you're going to do almost like a bridging movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think I've you've probably seen me doing it uh, on the Instagram page uh, a few weeks ago. Um, now that you can load that up, and it doesn't take much. I did some the other day where I stuck a forty kilo kettlebell on my hip. Right. And bam, posterior chain, bam, lit up. <laughs> Fantastic. So that that would be just trying to visualise that. That would be sort of like a static glute bridge. Yeah. With the calf raise, uh, or are you or are you dipping down? No, uh, it's kind of. Um, let's see, I've got it somewhere. Uh, uh, Here we go. I'll send you this link. Yeah, I'll put it to under the podcast. Yeah, brilliant. So do that whilst I remember. Uh, it's so yeah, you're kind of um, you're there between the two benches, yeah. and the only thing that's really moving is your foot or ankle, shall we say. So you're right. you're moving up and down. You're effectively you sort of do. It's a horizontal calf raise with a bent leg. <laughs> yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but you do bridge up somewhat on it, and it's it's almost more slightly more of an isometric. Yes, that's through, that's kind of what I'm visualising. Yeah, through the hamstring and a uh, the the glute. Here's another one that guys can try as well. Is actually just to set up in your classic, you know, Pilates class type glute bridge but extend the foot out somewhat so you're going out to find the point where your foot starts to lift off the floor and then pull back a bit so again you've got that sort of 90 degree angle mm -hmm. at the at the knee press down into the foot so you're pressing on a pedal with the foot 
and then bridge up, but only bridge up about, you know, five to 10 centimeters max. Hmm. Um, again, that is calf, hamstring, glute. Once you get above that, we're kind of starting to come back onto our heel and we get more proximal hamstring kind of glute going on. But that's another way of... One, one question I wanted to ask it. you about... Um, lower leg positioning when you're doing a glute bridge because a lot of people who are doing glute bridges at home home workouts nowadays at the moment um i've i've kind of gone back and forth over this but i've decided that my knee angle if i'm doing a glute bridge needs to be at about 90 or feet further forward but mm -hmm. i i used to be of the impression that my feet had to come back closer to my ass no no you want them ideally yeah. just as i was saying you want them out um because that that seems to turn into the closer the feet are it seems to more turn into a squat up yeah, you're kind of much more, you're going to get, you're not really going to get much other than your glute hmm. out of that. And there are more effective ways to train your glutes. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So that's another uh, quick tip for everyone, especially with, with glute bridge work, because there'll be a ton of people doing glute bridges and stuff at home. Keep your knees at more of a 90 angle or feet further forward yeah. rather than feet further yeah, Basically, back. essentially, that's what it is. It's, yeah. it's, when we say sort of a 90 degree angle, it's... It's a 90 degree angle if you were to be, you know, sort of more upright. I'm with um, you. Yep, I'm with you. Gotcha. Gotcha. And but here, uh, I'll send this one as well uh, of me doing, and this is just with a ball, uh, just a, um, yeah, I'll put the, I'll put these as links up under the podcast because the, the audience, uh, they'll can take a look at it. Um, oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I see that. Brilliant. And that is, this is what I'm talking about with the, the split squat the, with the ball. It's really useful way of doing it. In fact, doing the split squat with a Zerker kind of carry type position. Oh, that is so awesome. So what, what, I'm, what I'm sort of looking at here, Colin sent me a video. Um, and we've got a guy doing a split squat, but not in a traditional way. So he's holding away at his chest, but the, the difference is really comes from his foot position. So traditionally with a split squat, most people will see their front leg go forward a fair bit. What we're looking at here is the feet a lot more, a lot narrower together, but also less distance apart. So the inactive leg or the hind leg, not, I wouldn't say inactive, but the, the, the hind leg is not supporting the front leg quite as much. So you don't have that wide base when you have your, your feet split apart, which makes it technically easier on the, on the leg. Here you've got a much closer stance, but just slightly off center, so that puts the puts a lot more focus on the leading leg. It's just that the leading leg isn't too far away from the the behind the rear leg. Would that be right in saying that, Carl? Yeah, I mean that's the thing with it. It actually um, it places more emphasis on the the front leg, and as a result, it's closer to actual single leg work. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Because I get that still with... retaining some of the balance aspects that you get from having two points of contact. Yeah. I get that with lunges because I, it, it's one of those lunges. This would be quite good for me because lunges for me tend to cause irritation in the adductor region or the hamstring region, do the old hamstring tear. Um, and I think this would actually be quite good, but you very rarely see anybody do this. If people are doing a split squat in the gym, both legs are like reasonably far apart. Mm. This is, this is a good one. So while, uh, while we're wrapping up on that then, um, have we got anything more to say about sort of squatting patterns? Because if not, I thought we'd, we'd move on to the, the next question. No, not really. I mean, other than actually give Zerker stuff a try uh, okay. in the single, in that split stance sort of style. Yeah. 
um, you'll be you'll be amazed. <laughs> okay, I'll give it a go. Right, I really enjoyed that, Colin. Thank you for that. I think that's there's a lot of take-home lessons there. We've covered sort of breathing, use of wraps, uh, the knees out of the toes, prehab with single leg work. This is all really applicable stuff for bodybuilders, and and uh, you've just kind of explained why. I, my squats felt so good a few days ago, which is really interesting. So if we go to the next question, uh, I want to talk about your experiences in the sports therapy field mm -hmm. and some of your take-home kind of broad, I know everyone's individual, but sort of broad generalized lessons from correcting injuries in athletes. Uh, or Breathing maybe not, maybe not even cage. athletes, just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Breathing and rib cages. Okay. Um, it's like, can you touch your toes? Yes, no, most people can't. Most people think it's a hamstring problem. It can be, but 99 times out of 100, it's a rib cage issue. Yeah. Um, and a lack of mobility through the rib cage and hence the spine and hence they can't touch their toes. Um, so breathing is just, you know, you need to start there with, with everything. If, you, if you're not, I mean, it's like anybody who gets neck pain, they need to sort the breathing out. If they don't sort the breathing out, there's no point in touching anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, because the, the, the way that they're breathing <clears throat> is going to affect everything. It's going to bring in a lot more of the accessory muscles or accessory breathing muscles. So everything, your scalene, stemicloidomastoid, etc., in the neck. And it, what we want is to get better sort of proper diaphragmatic breathing which is not to say that your belly should be coming out a huge amount it's just that you're drawing the air down into your abdomen versus breathing just sort of using our accessory muscles to lift the yeah. ribcage up and down i mean you're always going to use your diaphragm i'm not trying to say that people aren't I, but uh, i think it, i think it's a good point because i don't think breathing is talked about enough still i know that chris duffin did a lot of great work on it a few years ago um, and I, I sort of use that quite a lot in my own training and my own coaching, but it's remarkably useful. Well, pretty much every top powerlifter will use that, and there's no reason why your gen pop bodybuilder shouldn't be breathing correctly. There's no reason why if, you're, if he's taking his weight into, a, into his lungs in a squat machine or a squat or any other number of, or a leg press, he should really be breathing into his stomach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they should learn how to. I mean, one of the things I start people off on, and it almost doesn't matter what they come in with, would be to get them seated uh, and get them to slouch. And here's the other thing. People say, oh, you know, slouching's bad. It's not. Most people, you can't even slouch. There's so limited movement that they don't slouch. So we want people to slouch as best they can. Let everything drop. Even sort of allow the, the, um, the shoulders to sort of protract and come round and in. So you're all... So, you can sort of see what I'm doing there. And round into that position. Everything chin down on the chest. Let everything just get... And then breathe there, in and out through the nose. Keep the mouth closed. Put the, roof, the tongue into the roof of the mouth and breathe slowly in and out through the nose. Six count on the way in, six count on the way out. And spend a bit of time there just actually learning how to breathe comfortably. Yep, down into uh, your stomach. Yep. And then sort of the, you know, I was, I was talking about my client who was, he was crushing this pillow and rolling down. I mean, that's another thing that we were working on. It was just this idea of, 
and taking a, a big pillow, wrapping it up in a sort of almost a ball like I do in the video with a squat yep. and actually squashing that as you roll down and sort of exhaling, forcefully exhaling as though you're blowing up a balloon. So it is very much that sort of as you roll through and that drives the rib cage down, really engages the obliques. Because that's one of the big issues I see. There's so many people come in and the ribs are very flared. Mm -hmm. So the, the, they have both, like the rib cage is, rather than sitting there, is that way. Mm -hmm. So you, I, I mean, like the guys can't see that, but you can see my hands on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then on top of that, as I come, as I run my hand down the rib cage, what I'll tend to see is you run the hand down and then you get almost a ski slope where the bottom ribs so not only is the rib cage as a whole flared, the bottom ribs are actually right, right. Ramped so, up. so what we're describing for the benefit of the audience is we're describing, yeah. So going back to the sort of breathing through your gut, we're describing the situation where, it, it, with bad breathing patterns, we're sort of breathing right into our chest. We're flaring that rib cage up and high. Now the consequence of that is we just lack stability in the midsection. Mm -hmm. And that yep. lack of stability in the midsection means, presumably, we can't transfer the force correctly onto our legs. Exactly. And that's where the chain, the chain kind of connects. So, I, I Imagine guess, then what we've got is um, everything doing this. So yeah. the ribcage goes up, pelvis goes down, and then you can't create that solid cylinder. Yeah, so what Colin's describing there is we've, we've got, it's sort of like our upper bodies and our lower bodies, they don't have a solid connection. Now the midsection is that connection, but unfortunately with the way the midsection's built, all we really have is the spine on the back and then we have the soft stomach, which is, is we're very sort of pliable as we breathe. But so if we breathe correctly and use that stomach to create that pressure, we can actually connect the upper and lower body. Hmm. And then we can actually have better, better transference of force. And I think that makes complete sense. So the, the reality of that is we should really, we shouldn't really be breathing through the, the chest and the rib cage. We should let, allow the rib cage to depress so we can actually solidify the stomach because that's hmm. the connection. And I, I presumably doing that will also safeguard the spine as well. Yeah, totally. You're, you're creating such a rigid uh, torso that, that that power from the hips can be delivered to drive you up the way. And you're not going to lag. You're not going to get that slump yeah. um, happening. You know, if it's a, if it's a squat, you're not going to get that classic sort of collapse through the upper back because you've, you've, got that stiffness there you're already in position similarly if you're deadlifting you you've created that stiffness through the torso which means that as you move you're just going to it's going to go up so this, so, so if in. if you're if you're squatting and you, you feel like your torso is is dropping downwards as you squat particularly coming out the hole it may be a combination of things but it also may be the fact that you're breathing incorrectly mm. um so that that's something that yeah, I mean, the powerlifting community has picked up on a lot, but I think what, we have, what we've not really picked up on in bodybuilding circles is the effect that this has on every single exercise we do. So lots of people use yeah. hack squats. Hack squats is the same deal. I mean, you're in, you're in a hack squat. People are looking upwards, airs in the chest. That's, that's not the best position to be in. You, you should be looking no. neutral, air in your gut, and that means you can actually transfer the force from the pads on your shoulders to your legs. It's no, there's, there's, it's no wonder that a lot of people prefer the leg press. Because they don't have to deal with those issues. I don't have to deal with it. You take yeah. the upper body out of the way. Even, even, then you're going to be, even then, you're probably better off breathing correctly. But mm -hmm. just to enable you to drive properly. with you. But still, yeah, it will. You'll get a better... For all your upper body supported, you, we can't think of it 
you can't really separate it out. So for all your supported there, there's still that connection between the upper body and the lower body. So if you create a, a, a stiffness and rigidity in the, in the upper body, your brain's going to allow you to produce more force into the lower body. Just I'm going to uh, I'm going to have a bit of a dig at the functional crowd here as well, and just to say that well, this this is what we're what Colin's talking about here. This is actual things that you, this is actually functional. Like this is the way you move. Uh, whereas you know, uh, functional isn't just sort of standing on a boat ball to create instability. Functional should be about creating stability, how to move correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, this this is the, these are the lessons you can learn from somebody like Colin, who's got a powerlifting background. You know, learn from from someone who's who actually knows how the body moves, rather than just you know, let's jump up and down and sing Harry. I know it's just make it's a nonsense. It's, instability stuff is is can be interesting to to put in, mm. but you probably don't want an unstable surface yeah you want a stable surface with maybe some instability coming from a elsewhere it's like one of the guys i know he had one of his athletes doing step-ups but he put a bit of instability in terms of the uh, coming from him having to correct things by having a couple of relatively small uh, kettlebells on bands <laughs> Okay, yeah. Because uh, he wanted the guy to be getting used to that change in the movement. Um, so that that's, he's, that, and yeah. it wasn't heavy. That's the thing. It's, it was not heavy. It was about just being able to get be reactive to that movement through. through so that's an interesting thing because the, 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 the surface was stable, but his body, in effect, was being thrown off balance ever so slightly. So he had to he had to fight against that. Now that's a very yeah. different story to telling someone to squat on a bicycle. I know, which is just very, such a crock of shit. Just yeah, it is absolutely, definitely. Um, like you cannot create force if the platform's unstable. Yeah, hundred percent. The limiting factor should always be the muscle you're trying to to train. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and yeah. there's I mean, occasionally it can be interesting to have, <clears throat> you know, um, the surface changing underneath the foot if you're doing certain things. So doing some movements whereby you might um, hop onto a, a, you know, a, basically a pad mm-hmm. uh, so that you have to react to that, that surface going underneath you. Yep. But at the same time, it, it becomes stable. Yes. So it's not staying unstable. It, the surface changes. So you have to react to it, mm-hmm. which is where you know, the bozu ball is kind of interesting because if you do the bozu ball soft side up mm-hmm. and step onto it, that's kind of what you're getting. The yeah. surface the surface gives underneath you, but then stiffens, which is kind of what happens in terms of if you're sort of wanting somebody maybe to get used to that aspect of things. That's a, an interesting way of going about it in that because you're not you're not making it unstable. You're just making that initial contact something that they then have to adjust to, which is kind of normal yeah, as opposed I, to jumping onto the bozu ball the other way around where it's like, whoa, what's yeah. going on here? Everything's just I moving. suppose the, the proviso with that is just, just be careful. Because if you see, that, yeah, I mean, that, to be honest, it's, it's not, it, it really, it's not something that you should be doing yeah. uh, weighted. Yeah, and certainly, certainly not something you should be doing timed as part of an activity. It's, it's, no, just, it was no. specifically, it's, you know, it's not like do as many as you can in 60 seconds. This would be, no. this is more of a prehab type of thing that we're talking yeah. about here. I mean, it's a bit like if we, I think even with, like, say, your guys, things like um, 
you know, box jumps and a sort of more extensive plyometrics are really useful as well. It's just that, you know, folk make an arse of them and think that it's about as high as you can jump. Yeah. <laughs> which it is. It is about as high as you right, can jump. Right. Uh, but, it, but, but I, I know what you're saying. It's, jumping it's, up into a squat is yeah. not jumping as high. I mean, that the vertical displacement is the same jumping well, this, onto a 36-inch box as it is jumping onto a 20-inch box. Well, this is this is kind of the issue that I have with with the whole progressive resistance, low-volume type of crowd when it comes to bodybuilding because it's sort of weight at all costs. And the kind of thing that we're talking about here is there are actual consequences of you just chasing weight at all costs. If you're not focused, if you go back to the first section, if you're not focused on where the weight is when you're doing leg movements, then you may well be needing to use excessive amounts of wraps for your excessive amount of weight. But because if we look, if we just basically look at what wraps do, wraps take off the load. You know, they provide a spring, they take off the load. Now, if we squat correctly, if we do leg movements correctly, actually the structures that we should be training should be taking that load, which is being taken mm. off from the wrap. So yeah, fantastic. You've got eight plates aside on the squat machine, but how much of that is actually going onto your legs? Yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah. losing it in probably the more important parts of the movement. Exactly. So you're going you're gonna to put it onto Instagram. You're going to hashtag Jordan Peters. You're going to be very proud of yourself. But the bottom line is you're probably not going to get the growth which, mm. which, which you want. And I, I think this is great because... And it's not even so much that you're not going to get the growth because you could argue that the extra weight um, offsets the fact that you aren't loading through as full a range of movement, shall we say, in, I'd, I'd, in some yeah, ways. Possibly, but, possibly. Uh, the thing is, you have just increased your injury risk massively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. really kind of where the trade-off is. It's like, fair enough, you've, you've, you've put on an extra 20% on top of what you could normally do. But is that worth it in terms of, one, loading everything well and efficiently, yeah. And the fact that there are, whilst it's helping in terms of what you can, you know, what the knee wraps and sense give you, is your torso ready for it? Yeah, I Probably think, I think not. that's where it's going to start breaking down. There'll be, they'll, you'll find, you know, when you put the weight on and you take the load away from one area, it'll find it somewhere else. Yes, you'll find a weak spot. I think I'd also say as well that with the short range of motion. I think we've got good research now to support the idea that a shorter range of motion, it's easier to get stronger at a shorter range of motion mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's harder to get stronger in a wide, in a longer range of motion. So you may in effect be shortening your range of motion, putting on rebacks, getting extraordinarily strong with the wraps and support because it's a shorter range of motion. But again, it's not going to translate into quite as much growth. And as no. you say, injury potential will be, will be far, far higher. It makes no sense on any level whatsoever to, to do it that way. No, I mean when you when the bottom line is that you are as you know, whether you are just somebody who is doing something recreationally or whether you are competitive in a physique type mm -hmm. environment, there is no point in pushing everything out to the far end of the curve. Yeah. In terms of the weight that you're moving. It makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, because you're just you're asking yourself, you know, you're putting yourself in a position whereby you are going to get hurt. Yeah, I've got a uh, question for you now. I know I don't want to keep you too long, but we might have to do the rest of the questions in in a different uh, show. But uh, this yeah. one I wanted to cover. Uh, Happy to come back on. That'd be awesome. Be great to have you. But one thing I wanted to cover before you go there is similar kind of thing, but for the upper body. Now, there's been quite a lot in the uh, bodybuilding community about the 
angle and the the depth of pressing so basically elbow in relation to chest for example mm -hmm. now the one viewpoint which seems to be moving through the uk at the moment is that let's say we have a chest movement the arm should be as high as comfortably possible and then to prevent any excess issues with the shoulder rotation because the arms are high and away from the body we should pause the range of motion and shouldn't allow the elbow to go past the chest on the way down i, I think what are your thoughts on that yeah i think that um interesting some of the things that are happening depending on the load so you come down into that you know elbow kind of at the chest once you kind of start getting down at that stretched position mm -hmm. we're really cranking on the capsule a bit hey but one of the problems is is with i actually think it's maybe a bit better in terms of stopping slightly short when you're using a bar interesting one for guys to try then is when they're doing press-ups this is the easiest way of almost this is the upper body version of all the lower body stuff we were talking about yes yeah so you can crank out press-ups no problem shift your weight off the heel of your hand and move it into the fingers slash ball of the the pads mm -hmm. uh, so the weights come forward and see what effect that has on it because now you're going to actually get a massive again you're going to get that similar co-contraction through the whole arm into the chest and upper back uh, coming off that movement shift it's difficult to get that kind of thing happening when you're grabbing the bar and the, to be honest, to get really properly progressive overload with the upper body, the only way to do it is to use that kind of stuff. You can't get away from that. I do quite like, and I do personally feel a bit more comfortable short, shortening the range of movement to the point whereby, you know, my elbow doesn't go below my chest. Yeah, as in, okay. you know, sort of, you're stopping about that, what? Yeah, just a few five, inches. A few inches off your chest. <laughs> Funnily enough, using dumbbells, I don't get the same issue. I can, I can go through a fuller range of movement, yeah. uh, and it's probably because I can then adjust to something that suits me and is much more comfortable for me. By adjust, um, you mean on the way down your elbows? Yeah, I can physically change. So rather than being kind of in that, yeah. you know, flared out position, I can adjust the position of the dumbbell, my, my arms, so that I've got a nice, comfortable, yeah, you know. See that position there, and that, then I that can get is that would be my argument. I would agree with you on that. Now, the prevailing sort of viewpoint seems to be keep your elbows way out, keep them locked in that range, but then don't let them go past the chest. Now, the issue that I see with that is a lot of these people are doing that because they're doing that with shoulder movements as well, which mm -hmm. I think is potentially worse. So yeah. they let the um, they let the elbow come down to the point where it's even with the shoulder parallel to the shoulder, but then you've got a very very partial range of motion there. Like I'm doing it, I've got quite long lower lower arms and mm -hmm. forearms and that's a very short range of motion so you get guys who have dealt the size of like a tennis ball and and are using 50s and you think this is not going to translate like, what, yeah. are you, what are your thoughts on that i think you're, you're right you know you want it's a bit like the we want to go through as full a range of movement as we can and as, move through it as safely as we can so placing restrictions on what you should do is, is silly
That's the thing. Um, I mean, I can understand it, like as you said, with the barbell. You can understand it with the barbell, but if you're using dumbbells anyway, why would you not just shift your elbow position so you can actually come down and have a full range? And then mm -hmm. on the way up, just make sure you're in that flared position when your elbows are parallel so you're still getting the benefit of the elbows being out. But that, that, that's what would make sense to me. But a lot of these guys um, are, are using dumbbells and then just shopping short, and that makes no sense. It doesn't really to me either. You know, if you think about what, hap what happens as well, you know, you, you want the, the bottom position. It doesn't really matter right the way. I'm, I'm not bothered whether I'm out kind of parallel or whether I'm down. I just want to be working with as much weight as I can through as full a movement, range of movement as I can. Exactly, exactly. There's no um, not to have that. And to, to go outside of that is, yeah. well, what's the point? You, you, one, you know, if you're a power lifter, you don't get judged on yeah. partial range of movement, although there are obviously benefits for them in terms of partial movements. If you're a bodybuilder, well, you get judged on how you look. Yeah. And we kind of know that Going through as full a range of movement as you can is probably beneficial yeah, in then, terms of actually. And then going back to the previous point as well is with the with same with the uh, the squat, it's easier, provably easier to get stronger in shorter ranges of motion. The body is adapted to that. Mm. It's so, but that that doesn't translate to getting bigger. Yeah. So rather go through the full range of motion. It's going to be harder to get stronger, but it'll give you a better um, gauge, better proxy of your actual muscle growth. Otherwise, you're just going to be lying to yourself. And I think a lot of these guys are just like they're using that as an excuse to say, "Okay, great." There's, there's a couple of guys, a couple of coaches around the world who who popularize this, and I think they have genuinely good intentions. But a lot of guys are using or justifying it to basically lift stupid amounts of weight, which don't reflect their physique development. I mean, I can see benefits in terms of if you did that and then did a full range of movement because using that heavy stuff yeah. would then make the lighter stuff feel easier. True, yeah. So there, there is some benefit, but you need to have an actual reason for doing it. Yeah. And that would be the only logical thing I can think of is that you're, you're using it as a, to make the, the real work feel easier. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how debatable of how much value that would be to a bodybuilder if if they're. No, it's up. not because you know it's not something that you're. Yeah. Yeah. You're training for. I love I love that, Colin. That's that's kind of I, I it's it, it's backed up everything that I've thought. <laughs> so it's nice to get it from you from uh from a from a mechanics perspective. Awesome. That's really good. Right, Colin. I know you've got an appointment in five minutes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. let you go. We've got some cool. follow up questions which I'd love to have you back on for. Yeah, well, let's just uh, let's yeah. do that, let's do that. Um, and we can make it part two, and yeah. I can splaff on for another hour about the people. <laughs> people love it. People love it. They'll they'll really like this because with with my podcast, it's it's a range of different things. It's not just bodybuilding. We've done stuff on, mm -hmm. um, we've done some eating disorders as well, and um, mm -hmm. female training and all that kind of stuff, and a, a bunch of different stuff. So I think people really appreciate the variety of content. But Colin, from me to you, thanks for uh, coming on. Great chatting again, mate. Right, speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers now.